0: Oh, good morning everyone. Um, the Bible readings this morning um, are from Proverbs and you should be able to, are they on the screen? Or? If not, you would have found this on your seats this morning so you can just follow along with that. Okay. Okay. Listen for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. There are six things the Lord hates seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. A man of knowledge uses words with restraint and a man of understanding is even tempered. A man finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like a lame man's legs that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. Pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul And healing to the bones. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. The lips of the righteous know what is fitting, but the mouth of, of the wicked only what is perverse. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a minute, a moment. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Without wood a fire goes out, without gossip a quarrel dies down. He who loves a quarrel loves sin. He who builds a high gate invites destruction. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware, a fervent lips with an evil heart. A a wise man's heart guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction.
1: <clears throat> thanks Debbie for reading those today it's a bit of an unusual reading and thank you Ryan Ryan would you like to come on to our staff team you seem to be able to uh, promote City Bible Forum better than I can I think <laughs> so thank you for that um, have you what what proverbs have you been living by this week have any, has anybody here been trying to incorporate proverbs into their life just curious it's not a rhetorical question. <laughs> Anyone given it a go this week? Okay. All right. Well, you will live by Proverbs. Um, it's just which ones uh, you end up living by. And we're looking at the moment, for those of you who arrived today, weren't here last week, we're looking at the book of Proverbs. And in particular, uh, this week, we're going to look at the power of our words If you haven't worked out that by the reading today, then uh, uh, that's that's where we're heading. So um, it's probably handy to have those Proverbs uh, open somewhere near you so you can just check them because I'm not going to keep cross-referencing them. I'm just going to read through them as we look at different points about them. And there is an outline on the inside if you want to uh, follow along or you want to look at that later to see where we're going. I want to start by telling you a story. Once upon a time, there was a foolish man who lived in a village and he spread slander about a wise man constantly. One day, the fool went to the wise man's home and he asked for forgiveness from the wise man. The wise man told him that he would forgive him on one condition that he go home, that he take a feather pillow, and that he take it out into the village and tear it up and allow the feathers to scatter to the wind. And then he was come back to the wise man to hear what was next. So he was puzzled, but he thought he was being let off with easy penance, so he went off and he took the feather feather pillow and scattered it to the wind in the village. And then he came back. He said to the wise man, am I forgiven now? The wise man said to him, just one more thing. I want you to go back and collect all the feathers that have been scattered. And the man protested. He said, that's impossible. I can't do that. They're all over the village now. And he said, precisely. It's exactly what has happened. What's happened with the feathers has happened with your words. And you can no more get the words back that you have been slandering about me than you can to get those feathers back into the pillow. Although you want to correct your evil, your words, even now as we speak, are doing irreparable damage across this village. Um, uh, It's interesting, isn't it? Think about your words over the last week in your life and the fact that they are still having impact right now while you sit here. Have you ever sent an email that you regretted? Now, we could, have, we could just stop now and just have a discussion about this and hear all the stories of people who have sent emails that they regret. In fact, sometimes even as you press the send button, you think, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, it's gone. You <laughs> wish you could get it back on the screen. Well, good news, you can. I was checking this out this week. Gmail has a special undo facility when you've sent an email but there's a couple of catches all right the first catch is it can't be opened at the other end so once it's opened, you can't retrieve it back but if it re- if it's sitting there in their inbox you can pull it back afterwards the other thing is you have 30 seconds to do it after that it's <laughs> gone so 30 seconds I took three goes at this on Friday trying to get my emails back and each time, I couldn't do it in the time, finally finally got it back, just kept sending it to my colleague at the other desk. But, you know, I sort of thought, what sort of a feature is that really? <laughs> you can't get the words back. When you think about it at various points in our lives, we live with the damage of the words that leave our lips and they are more powerful Than lots of other things in life, Um, words have enough firepower to blow marriages apart, don't they? Um, Words can absolutely tear apart a church or a team, a work team. Um, Words can cripple a child's self-esteem such that even when they're an adult and they've got their own kids, they're still dealing with the words that were spoken to them as a child. Every day words come out of our mouth as husbands and wives and friends and work associates and bosses. And according to Proverbs, as we learnt last week, reckless words pierce like a sword, but, but, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And what's that? What that is saying is, such is the power of our words, that they can penetrate like a thrust of a sword into somebody and deeply, deeply hurt them. And equally, they can be a magical elixir that restores a person whole. That's powerful. Now, when you think about it, the Bible keeps telling us that God is a speaking God. And in in that sense... We reflect our maker. We speak because God speaks. And yet when God speaks, every single word he says is true and dependable. He creates life out of these words. He he, he creates something out of nothing with his words. His words are spoken and they accomplish what they were set out to do. In fact, according to Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is realizing that God has spoken to us. In that phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the Lord who has revealed himself, who spoke to people at a certain point in history, the Jews, and showed them who he was and spoke to them about how they should live their lives and what they were here on this earth for. It's that God that Proverbs tells you to fear, the speaking God. And that God builds relationships. He's familiar with words. He uses them for maximum impact and to build up. And the pinnacle of him speaking is seen in sending his son Jesus, who gets called the word of God, who comes as a human being, and desires to speak to us of the nature of God. Now, before you try and speak wisely in this world, you need to understand that Proverbs has two voices that keep coming up throughout it. And as human beings, we mimic one or the other voice, depending on our situation and circumstances. The first is Lady Wisdom's voice, and that's um, in chapter 8, verses 6 to 9 there. Listen, I have worthy things to say, I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. That's Lady Wisdom, but there's another voice in Proverbs 2, Dame Folly. And that voice represents another voice that's in our world. It's the voice that's been there since the start of creation. And if you think about it, the fall of human beings, according to the Bible, is all over words. It is a person who says, did God really say you will surely die? The question mark at the very beginning by the other speaker is over the truth of God's words, whether they can be trusted And his words don't bring God and people together. He is in the business of tearing people and people and God apart. And Satan's speech is also echoed in Proverbs in chapter 5, 3 to 4 there. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. So words are very powerful in the mouths of both God and Satan. And is it any wonder that Proverbs sees the parallels of our own speech, where sometimes we speak in a godlike way and other times we speak in a Satan-like way? There are literal hundreds, literally hundreds of Proverbs that showcase how you actually do that with your speech. And I've collected a few of them there, but I've clustered them for you together under the following headings because they occur randomly throughout the book of Proverbs. But here are the three headings, the quantity of our words, the timing of our words, and the effect or the impact of our words. So the quantity of our words, the timing of our words, and the effect or the impact of our words. Firstly, the quantity of words. A few years ago, I went on a conference to what was a monastery. And this is an occupational hazard for ministers that we do end up often going to cheap conference centres. And um, look, they are, they are cheap. But it, one, of the, one of the pluses is they're often set in magnificent gardens. So we went to this particular one and I was out in the you know contemplating life in, in the gardens. And I noticed this beautiful, picture-perfect summer perennial border. For those of you who are gardeners, you know what I mean, but it was just a stunning piece of gardening. And I was just looking at this, and then I noticed this nun, uh, who was part of the order at the monastery, coming up and she was tending this border. I thought, oh, man, she's the one who did this. She's the one who put this together. So I approached her and I praised the results of her labor. And she did that sort of numb thing that you expect. She sort of smiled deferringly to me. And uh, I said to her, look, uh, I haven't seen you over in the house at all. I was just wondering, uh, you know, where you are. And she she then gestured and pointed to the perimeter of the property. And there were these little huts that were built on the edge of the property. Oh, you're in one of those. I didn't realize that. That's why I haven't seen you. And then I couldn't help myself because I'm a gardener myself, very keen. I looked again at her handiwork and I said, "Ah, tell us the secret to this because that's an amazing border. How do you get it to look like that? And at that point, she put her hand on my arm and she said very, very quietly to me, I can't talk to you right now. And then she glided back to her little hut. I thought, this is really strange. I went to lunch, back to lunch, and I was sitting around on the table with some of the other guys, and I said, you know, I met this nun this morning out there, and, um, you know, she wasn't very communicative at all, and I was actually trying to praise her, and they said, you're an idiot. She's actually on retreat, and she's on a vow of temporary silence. So what I had actually done was I had caused, I had worn this woman down with my questions so badly that in the end I caused her to to break her temporary vow of silence. And she should have known. She should have had Proverbs 20, verse 19. It could have helped her. It says, avoid a man who talks too much. (laughs) One of the key distinctions between wise people and foolish people is the quantity of words that they use Um, it's frightening isn't it that some of us really love to talk we love to hear our own voice but what we need to realize is in Proverbs 10 verse 19 there when words are many sin is not absent but he who holds his tongue is wise now why because often the reason is pragmatic the more words you use the more you've got the chance to hang yourself With what you say, the greater the capacity to sin through what comes out your mouth. So, less words, less likely to do that. 17, verse 28 Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent, and the discerning if he holds his tongue. Now, I find this a very useful strategy if you happen to find yourself in a meeting where you know nothing about the subject of what they're talking about. Just stay silent. They'll all think that you know far more than them because you're sitting there quiet. And then if you finally do say something, everybody will be, "Oh, what, what, what's coming out of his mouth at that point? So it's a useful tactic. But what is the value of holding your tongue? It helps you to think before you respond, doesn't it? He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. 18 verse 13. It also helps you to avoid making hasty judgments before you understand all the facts of the situation. Take note, parents. Um, Proverbs 29.20, Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There's more hope for him than for a fool. So often, in contrast, the fool is the equivalent of that um, man, do you remember a few years back, uh, the guy who pressed the button and let all the water out in the Torrens Weir? So that right on the verge of um, the Fringe Festival. So basically it was a mud flat for most of the festival. Imagine being that guy. Anyway, the mouth of the fool gushes folly, Proverbs 15.2 says. Or it can be like a dripping tap. The nagging wife is the perennial figure in Proverbs. She just drip, drip, drip feeds her comments, her criticisms to her husband. She has not learnt the value of being frugal with her words. And in fact, sadly, the frequency of her words have diminished their power. And Proverbs says that's the opposite of being wise. So you need to ask yourself, if you're reading Proverbs and you want to be a wise person, do I speak a lot or do I need to speak, uh, do I speak little? because that's one of the measures, the quantity of your words. The second is the timing of your words. Several years ago now, I pulled up the carpet in our bedroom and had to then, I was going to polish the floorboards, and then I had to take up every tack that had been put into that floor since 1927. And I did this with a claw hammer and a screwdriver. You've got no idea how long this took. (laughs) And then after I'd finished it, I was describing it to somebody in the trade. And they said, oh, there's a great tool you can pick up at Bunnings. (laughs) And it lifts the tack up. It gets right under the tack and lifts it up in one swift movement. You don't need both those things. I went and got the tool, went onto the lounge room floor, did it in a quarter of the time (laughs) that it took. So when, when you have the right tool for the right job, it's just a dream. When it comes to words, there's a craftsman's delight in matching the right words to the right occasion. It really is an art, and it's one that the Bible encourages. A man finds joy in giving an apt reply, how good is a timely word, 15 verse 23. Not only that, there's value in well-positioned words being placed into life and Uh, our our situations. 25.11, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. And like so much in life with our speech, our timing is everything uh, for getting our message across. And the wise person discerns what word is needed for what occasion. In contrast, no matter how true a saying might be, in the mouth of the fool, it remains impotent and even damaging. Listen to this. Proverbs 26, verses 7 and 9. Like a lame man's legs that hang limp, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand, is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. In fact, there's nothing worse than foolish people grabbing pearls of wisdom and trying to slap them onto a situation and into the wrong setting. The wise use their words with restraint and they carefully match those words to the right situation. Do you do that with your words? Um, and finally, the effect of our words. Words can be employed to great effect. And Proverbs encourages you to try and think about that. That the capacity that words have to heal people and to nourish them. Uh, Proverbs sixteen twenty four. Pleasant words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul. Healing to the bones. Or 15.4, the tongue brings healing. It's a tree of life. A tree of life. But foolish words have an equal and opposite effect in the other direction. Proverbs 15.4, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Or 10.11, a violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Wise words can nourish and heal. Foolish words can crush and destroy And what we're talking about here are the words that you and I use every day in our conversations with the people that are most important often in our lives. We choose words which will either bring healing or destruction. (coughs) Ultimately, the tongue has the power of death and life, says Proverbs, and and those who love it eat its fruit. It's that important. You see, foolish lips in the end will be punished and justice will come to those who have spread death through their words. Um, You think about what's happening to the four banks at the moment and AMP. It's finally all catching up with them. The lies, the, the places that we trusted. And this can be said not just of banks, and societies ultimately an evil person is trapped by their sinful talk 12 13 and finally the longevity of the wise person's words will win out in the situation truthful lips endure forever but a lying tongue lasts only a moment 12 19. they're really sobering words about your speech and my speech So let's look at an example of foolish words in our lives, and particularly in in the life of a Christian community like this. You know, until the 1800s, the word gossip was used to describe a person who helped deliver a baby. And I suppose you can sort of see the connection of how we ended up with it, meaning what it is today, because I I suppose when you delivered the baby, you then went around and told everybody the good news of what, what had happened. In our culture, gossip is accepted It's even celebrated. Just go and have a look at a magazine rack or look at the internet. And and it's easy to become desensitised to the fact that it's poison. And we will expect the Bible to slam it, but what I'm finding these days is even secular sources are, are slamming it. So I read an article by a journalist who talked about gossip. The whole article was on gossip, and she called the article gossip, uh, she said the definition of gossip is it is halitosis of the heart it's the bad breath of the heart you know that's probably succinctly describes its effect you know the words of a gossip are like delicious morsels that go down to a man's inmost parts 18.8 do you know in a minister's home as soon as the husband and wife start talking in whispered tones all the activity in the house ceases, all the shrieking, all the laughter, all the arguing, because those kids know something really juicy is being discussed right at that moment, and they listen in. Now, I'm sure that's not restricted to ministers' homes, because we love that interesting information that we weren't meant to hear. And the office can be a hotbed of gossip, Gossip is tasty stuff, it whets your appetite. You know, you get a little, bit of, a little bit of it and you want more and you want more and you want more. But gossip has also an incredible capacity to spread. Listen to this proverb, 2620. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a fire goes down. Gossip is simply stories based on uncertain evidence designed to injure. and they, It doesn't really matter whether in the end it was found to be true or not. It's the activity of the gossip that's being um, roundly condemned here in Proverbs. Email, Twitter, Facebook, prayer points have so many potential avenues for gossip. In December 2000, there was a London woman who sent a saucy email to her boyfriend. And he was pretty chuffed, so he pressed forward and sent it on to a buddy who then sent it on to 12 other people. In the end, you can imagine what happened. Her private life was spread across the world to 10 million people worldwide. 10 million people. (laughs) That's phenomenal. It was dubbed the Squire Effect, and it became a salutary lesson of how not to use email in life. Email is used by us to get queries answered, to make plans, to send documents, to pass on news, but it's also used to gripe about people these days. And they're written in a casual and a candid language that we would use in everyday conversation. They're not like letters or the formality of a letter. And so email is like a letter, but it's so much more powerful because it's spread so much more quickly than mere chatter in an office. It permanently logs your offhand comments. It spreads them with a scope and a speed that you can't anticipate or control. Forwarded emails can combine the intimate with the impersonal. So you get it, it lands in your inbox, and you think, well, I'm interested in this precisely because it wasn't written to me. I'm a voyeurist at this point. The way we use our email can reveal whether you're wise or foolish. And the same for social media. You know, are you a wise Facebook user? Are you a foolish Facebook user? Given the difficulty of speaking, you think, look, the best thing to do is to get a bit of gaffer tape and put it over your mouth and (laughs) hope for the best that way in life. But it won't solve the problem because our lips only say what is in our hearts according to Proverbs 26, 23, like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. You you may be able to hide a crooked heart for a while, but you can't hide it forever because underneath the glaze on the surface is the person that you really are behind. And that's where the source of the problem is, according to the Bible. How many times in life do you ask the question, the painful question, why did I say that? Where do those words come from? And the Bible will tell you, the words come from your heart. That's the source. Proverbs sees such a powerful connection between your words that come out your lips and your heart that it actually interchanges the two words constantly in the book of Proverbs when it's telling you, Proverbs, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. They're synonymous. Words are so important in the Bible because they reflect the condition of your heart. And Jesus said it. He said, out of the abundance of your heart, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. Matthew 12, verse 34. So words actually that we speak reflect the source. And if you're going to change your speech, you have to work all the way back to your heart. New words, new lips, new life come with a new heart. And we need wisdom from God if we're going to change our hearts. And the great news is, the promise of God is that he's in the business of changing hearts. He's willing to take that heart, that sinful, and replace it with a heart altogether different. And that's made possible When Jesus dies on the cross, that's when the exchange happens. That's where the seat of the human problem is dealt with. And that change of heart is possible because of that. And if you want to know whether your heart's been changed, then look at your speech. That will show you whether you're walking closely to Jesus or not. Proverbs demonstrates the power of the words that we use. It warns us to use words with restraint. It calls on us to try and aptly position those words into our context and our situation we're in. And it tells us the impact of our words, not only on the people who are on the receiving end of them, but eventually how they will catch up to us at some point in the future. We need new wise words in our friendships and in our office and in our homes and in our relationships. Like learning another language, you know. You need the best possible teacher to help you to pronounce a language that you're learning so you can do it well. That, that person can teach you the speech patterns, the way to roll the words together. They, they actually, that's what Jesus is. He is the great speech therapist. So this week, if you see some sort of juicy email or you hear some morsel of gossip, you can consciously choose to become a wiser person by opting out of pressing forward. Um, The speaking God gives us the gift of speech. It's a wonderful gift. Use it wisely to honour and to please him through what you say. Next week, Chris Jolliffe comes and he's going to finish the book of Proverbs and look at the power of words in our life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the power of uh, words that we have speech, that we've got the choice before us to speak wise words or foolish ones, uh, words that bring life or words that bring death, healing, destruction, good fruit, bad fruit. Help us to be convicted of our own speech in this week ahead and help it to be linked back to our heart and character. Thank you that you give us the option of changing that through your son. Amen.